Asses for so long, I figure it's time we got our shit. What happened today is just the beginning. If we're gonna be killed in the night, it's better to get it the first few. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm so tired. I think I've made a big mistake coming here. We're going back into that NBA bunker complex tomorrow. <laughs> Duke's a lot smarter than you think. Well, there's the beast. He's hungry tonight. You don't sleep on no fucking ambush. Lieutenant! What, did you do something? What are you talking about? Oh, you lie! I talk about me, Burn! You didn't know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. You ain't a firing squad, you piece of shit! Sometimes I just look at a guy, and I know this fellow's not gonna make it. You wasted a lot of people out there with your fucked up fire mission! Maybe I finally found it. Maybe from down here I can start up again. Be something I can be proud of. He's a human being, man! It's dark. There's no right or wrong in him. He's just there. I don't know, brother, sir. But I'm hurt real bad inside. Yeah? Well, you all know about that. Everybody gotta die sometime. All you gotta do is make it out of here. Hell is the impossibility of reason. Okay. Welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza. Um, I am joined by my co-host for the night, Karthik, who, um, you know, has alien encounters on Substack and uh, revolutionary tracks with the left flank vets, who, of course, are our other guests, uh, Marcus, Dick Warlock, and Erica. And uh, left flank vets are a leftist veteran propaganda cooperative against uh, predatory military recruitment and war profiteering. How's everybody doing? Good man. Doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. <laughs> a little sad. <laughs> after after watching Platoon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no one told me <laughs> that it was not like tr Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I mean, it is like it is. It's not. It is it's not. It's extremely like Tropic Thunder. I scream cried. <laughs> literally, literally, the most iconic scene in the movie is 
repeated shot for shot at the beginning of Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Just get doing the fucking machine gun dance, William. Yeah. <laughs> Look. Hey, no big deal though. I I watched hot. I I too depressing of a movie. You know, make sure you can't keep your mental health in order. I watched Hot Shot Part 2 instead, so I'm just going <laughs> to refer to that. It's got Charlie Sheen in it anyway, so no big deal. Easily confused. <laughs> it's not um, the one that has OJ in it as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, probably, it's, yeah. So no, that, you're, thinking of, you're thinking of Naked Gun. Hmm. Which is, which is, interestingly, our next show on Thursday. We're talking about uh, Naked Gun Smell of Fear with oh, Natalie Scherr. Which is going to be a hilarious show because she does like very serious um, writing and like all of these different outlets about like medical, like medical policy and COVID and all of that stuff. Oh so, yeah, Natalie's dope. I love her. She's yeah. awesome. Tell her we yeah. said hey. So having her, so having her talk about uh, the naked gun is honestly a hilarious, a hilarious idea. But um, so yeah, so one thing that I wanted to point out is that trailer kind of spoils like a lot of the best scenes in Platoon. Like literally, you see Elias going doing the doing the dance you see like you see barnes standing over him with the knife you see as that music plays if i like kind of somewhat knew the movie but like hadn't seen it yet i would be kind of pissed after seeing that uh trailer i think well i mean the image of defoe on his knees screaming is kind of like the iconic image of platoon right of him yeah like doing the like the Christ on a cross for you. Why, God? Yeah, and and they used it for promotion, which, like, once again, that's kind of like the the scene in the movie that really jars you to the point where I think, well, both that and of course, like, uh, Barnes shooting him a bunch of times kind of jars you to, into like, you know, the state of mind where, like, you know, fragging and friendly fire, like, you know, death by friendly fire, are incredibly common things that happen throughout the Vietnam War, and it's kind of spoiling it. Like, by the way, Defoe's character, I don't, you know. Gets it. He gets he gets shot a bunch. So uh, that's <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, it's weird because the movie also like the movie is all about the like the movie has shitty politics. Uh, like in terms of what I mean, in my opinion of Oliver Stone's politics about the war. But like the interesting thing about the movie is that it's only real politics are the politics internally to the platoon. Like like of the Barnes faction versus the Elias faction, the like two most prominent squad leaders. Um, and then the fragging that takes place between them. But like the most common fragging in Vietnam was when you smoked that fucking, the douchebag LT who was like in his Ohio state t-shirt yeah. being, hello man, how are you? Duck Phillips for Mad yeah. Men. Yeah, yeah. I, I was for for a little bit when I was first watching. I was like, "Where the fuck do I know this guy from? And why don't I like him?" And I'm like, "No, it's Doug. Yeah, it's Doug." I thought I thought it was an Oklahoma State. Oh shit, uh, was it? Sorry. I, I, Maybe I'm I was pre- just thinking about fragging you, Marcus. I'm sorry. Thanks, I appreciate it. No, I, I made sure to check, and no, that dweeb was definitely not from Ohio State. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Well, although no, what I'm hoping we so, get to at some point is like yeah. dweeb officers that we've had because oh, like yes. they are a plenty. That, that was have, actually a I pretty accurate... iconic story about a real girl boss that I used to work for in the Navy. If we want to ever get there, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm definitely down to hear those to hear those stories. Um, the shitty politics point I think is interesting though because I I mean I definitely talked about it this morning a little bit with Karthik. And it seems like the 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 two, he's building kind of a, a spectrum, which the spectrum is guy who follows the rules 
and like you know seriously believes in like the the rules of engagement or the rules of combat and guy who wants to break all of the rules of engagement and just wants to like win the war mm -hmm. so like the spectrum that he's building i mean probably is realistic to uh the vietnam war but like it is i mean the politics are shitty because i don't think it goes any farther than that like the other the only other thing they can really show is somebody like injuring themselves to get out of the war which they do show like you know i i don't think that there's much space for political involvement in in the middle of the vietnamese jungle no i mean yeah like it's the the black hawk down line like once the first bullet goes past your head politics and all that shit goes right out the window like which is true i mean like <laughs> I definitely like the poli the inter inter platoon politics definitely are accurate. Like I think that Oliver Stone does a good job of like it's a very it's a very rare movie or a very unique movie that it like literally the entire thing takes place in Vietnam. You don't see anyone back home at the fucking malt shop, you know, talking about gearing up to go fucking to war or anything beforehand. It is yeah. just in the shit the whole time. And all you get is little glimpses of what might be waiting for them after or what might be before. And not that much of it. It's really just. Like, and nothing's waiting for them after. Like, that's that's kind of the point that he drives yes. home. I mean, to the point of kind of being pretentious about it at times. Like, he's yes. like, well, I was rich and I went to a, a good college. But yes. everybody else. Aren't you, tell you happy for me? Aren't I you was, glad I'm here? I <laughs> was laughing so hard at that part where they were like, you voluntarily came here? Like, you, he's like yeah you know why do only poor kids have to go i'm like man if someone would have looked me in my eye when i was in the navy and said that to me i would have taken a ball bat to their knees immediately that is like <laughs> it's it's literally um but it's it's there are definitely people like that that join the military yes. oliver stone like, yep like we literally we talk a lot about like the poverty draft uh, and like other reasons people join, that was why I joined was because recruited out of a literal homeless shelter. Um, but there are absolutely people that I met in the military that were like, oh yeah, you know, I just like, I wanted to be something bigger than myself, something greater than I am. And it's like, <laughs> what? Loser. Well, the backstory of it is that Oliver Stone was going to, was, was going to Yale. Yeah. And it was in literally in classes with George W. Bush. And uh, his, his parents were like these conservative Republicans who had all served in different wars. Um, I think his father served in World War II. His grandfather talk, served in World War One. Talk about a missed fragging opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> he could have, yeah, he could have fucking fragged George W. Bush and no one would have. <laughs> no, so, so his whole backstory, and I have, a, I have a clip of it, but I don't think I really want to, I mean, I don't think it's really worth playing, but he's talking about how he went to Yale and he was kind of lost at Yale and didn't quite know what he wanted to do, started like skipping out of classes. And then once they were like, you know, you have to go to class. He's like, well, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to Vietnam instead. And <laughs> what did Chad think what if, to do? What if they had just, listen, totally different timeline. Oliver Stone gets invited to the Skull and Bones fucking meeting. <laughs> Then this is all done. He's just jealous that George W. gets to go hang out, do the skull and bones, you know, thing and fucking, you know, what, like jack off into Geronimo's skull or whatever it is those fucking psychos do. Yeah. Did the David, uh, do the David Cameron type shit where you uh, have the pig's head and you stick your dick in the pig's head? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you fuck a pig's skull or, yeah. Listen, I zoned out for about 30 solid seconds there and I came back in at a. <laughs> no, Erica, the, the, the Skull and Bone Society, if you're not aware of it, is. 
a collection of psychos at Yale. And this is real. Wait, no, this is real. This is real. Please don't give me something else. I need to be anxious. It's like about. A, a club. It's a secret club for little fucking blue bloods to join. And then they they went and dug up Geronimo, the native the native uh, militant leader. They dug up his skull, and they like fucking do little rituals, weird like they they do weird rituals and shit with it to like induct people, and, uh, and then like, they all end up joining the CIA afterwards. Or well, they all end up end up either going to like the Supreme Court a lot of times. They end up going into like being like a, a president, being a vice president, being a senator. Like it's all those types of people. That have like a long history of. Uh, well, this isn't real. You guys the, are fucking with me. This is like an episode. It's real, of real Erica. <laughs> no, it's not. It's yeah. real. It's real. Look it What's up. It called again, I'm gonna Google it right Skull now. Skull and Bones Society. Look it up, Erica. It's real. I promise. So you. pretty much, you got that. Like like Oliver just trying to walk behind George Bush, and and like he's like, hey, hey Ollie, you, this ain't for you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like, exactly. You, know, you know, you don't fucking belong here. Yeah, and then he's like, well, gosh out. dang it, you know where I do belong? <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> but then in the movie, they're like, you don't belong in the Nam. Like, so it's like, you know, like there's no, there's no winning for Oliver Stone. He, he never, he never quite finds his niche well, because that's you know. because he thinks that like. The war, like, basically the whole idea is, is like, you know, if everyone had listened to Sergeant Elias is decent at fighting, but he's too dumb to realize that Barnes is about to smoke him when he's literally got a gun trained on him and he's about to try and get him thrown in the brig. Right. Well, he's like, he's, he's very, um, he's very impish. Willem Dafoe's portrayal oh, of him. Yes. Like he's kind of like a, like a wood nymph, like he's hopping through the woods and like, he's like, don't worry, I'm light on my feet and like, hopping yeah, like a woods. hobbit. Yeah, well, not because a hobbit kind of goes low to the ground. He's kind of up. He's, he almost floats. He almost he's like a rat in the jungle. Or he's like, like a Legolas. Like a Legolas, then. He's like an elf. He's yeah, like no, running he's running on the snow. Like and so he's like hopping through, and then he sees Barnes, who he supposedly has like this blood feud with, and he smiles at him, like, oh man. And then he sees his eyes, and he's like, oh no, fuck, he's going to kill me. He's going to frag me right now. I hope I don't <laughs> get smoked just now. Yeah, well, like that's, that's Oliver Stone's politics, too, is just like, like that, Elias is just a Democrat. <laughs> he's just a guy. Yeah. He's like just as bloodthirsty and believes just as fervently in the fucking doomed mission, even though he knows it's lost. And then he's too dumb to realize he's about to get smoked by the guy who will do the things that he won't. You know what I mean? Well, like he's this- he's living he's living in a in a you know in a state of um, cynicism, I think, but like without a way to really get out of it, right? Like he's he's one of the people that joined the war fully gung-ho thinking like i'm gonna go in and like fuck up these like vietnamese people like you know what i mean like we're, we're just gonna destroy the fucking uh nva like it, it's gonna be fine he gets into the war and realizes like oh no we're gonna lose this war mm-hmm. and still has to maintain his position in the war still you know still is in this um probably probably like extended his own combat you know like deferment you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I, I yeah i mean that's did. that's like i guess like part of the like untold story is that like if you if they're like the sergeants there, they've been there, you know, like everyone's like counting down their year, but the sergeants, like, you know, those are those they're they are there. <laughs> they're there for a long time. Um and so and like that's what he's like talking about Barnes and like even it's like he's unkillable, you know, when they talk about it, it's like so like yeah, not only can like Sergeant Barnes is like like 
he's like fucking supposed to be like the fucking living T one thousand or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but he isn't. I mean, you know, but no, right? Yeah, kind of like is is a point that they make in a lot of anti war movies, like especially Vietnam movies. It's like like the unkillable, quote unquote, unkillable people because you either belong in the Nam or you don't. And that's kind of in in Viet, like in a lot of anti war Vietnam movies, like that that's the the dichotomy really. Like you either belong here or you don't belong here, and if you don't belong here, you're gonna die. The anti war point is like no, you're both gonna die. It just depends on when and how. Um, you know whether it's gonna be like in a moment of like you know um, I I don't want to say bravery, but like you know bravery for your cause or whatever and you know you're going in there and getting hit a million times or or are you going to die running away from a foxhole like that's really the only difference i think the (laughs) thing though is that the and like an issue too and uh especially i think about with um full metal jacket um or like any kind of like you know anti-war movie is that if charlie sheen is the main character and also kind of placed in a way <laughs> that, oh, hey, you know, like, there's a lot of people who are going to identify with that. And maybe not like, oh, I am from fucking Yardale and I just decided to come fight in the muck with some of the pores. But, you know. Which is literally, which is literally what. Yeah. um <laughs> Like, that's literally what they were going to But, uh, but, uh, but also, like, that is the person that you are along with throughout the movie. And while they're like, oh, he gets injured, um, he starts kind of losing his commitment to uh, reaching, you know, back home and discussing things. You know, like first he's writing letters all the time. And he eventually stops. Who is you know, fucking more... grandma, little grandma boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking nerd. Stupid um, nerd. But after, I guess, like, that's the problem with any of these things is that with, you know, Charlie Sheen, they make it out. Joker from 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 uh, Metal Mag- like they survive. They they make it out. You know yeah. the person that you ident that you are riding along with the movie. Really, you 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 make it to the exit yes. and say, "Well, now I get." To I live think that my there life. should be an anti-war movie where the main character just gets fucking obliterated in the first five <laughs> minutes, and then that's the movie. It's over. <laughs> Anti- anti-war. The most successful anti-war filmmaking is short films. You know, like like, seriously, like it's well the the I have an over I overanalyzed part of that movie in between my sob fest. Thanks again for the no warning there about the war um, crimes. It, it technically it technically is Tropic Thunder. It's just Tropic Thunder under very different circumstances. It was uh, very sad. Anyway, I came into it like I was like I'm gonna smoke weed. I'm gonna watch this movie. Uh, it's gonna be great. Have you ever cried while you're high? <laughs> that shit is awful. Anyway, uh, something that kind of drove me a little crazy and the way if I were to take the movie and it was like, okay, you can only change one thing, right? Um, like one theme in the movie. Uh, I do not like the fact that it made it look like the person, like the college boy was like, the, the moral authority in that movie, uh-huh. like this person from a wealthy background, because I'm like, maybe I'm alone or maybe I'm not here. The psychopaths I met in the military were the ones that had a stable home life and like came from money, already went to college. Yeah. It wasn't the poor people that were there because you can, you can look at other people and empathize and, and sympathize with them 
of like their living conditions. But like a lot of times it was the people that did come from like money in their background. Those were the nut jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, I think a big part of it, a a big part of it is who tells these stories. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, clearly Charlie Sheen in this movie is Oliver Stone. Yeah. Like he's telling his own war story. Yeah, Uh, I know. So, but he's also clearly reacting to um, Apocalypse Now and and kind of making his own version of a movie like that. They literally went to the Philippines to, you know, um, worked with the Marcos, like, you know, dictatorship, the fucking far right, like fascist dictatorship, the same as uh, Coppola did, yeah. like took the same military equipment that that um that they did when they made Apocalypse Now. And he's saying, well, you know, you don't really know you don't, you don't really understand Vietnam. You don't really understand war. This is what it's really like. And, you know, it's I think the same thing is, is true in like Full Metal Jacket, because it's kind of the story of the journalist that, you know, ended yeah. up surviving through it. And he had written like there it is based on a book. So like you know who's telling these stories kind of matters um, in that sense and like who gets to who gets to express themselves and every single time it's somebody telling their own story which means that they've survived the war. Yes, but I think I I mean if I could offer my opinion like the note Kubrick did not go to Nam, but his conclusions about it I think are much better than than Oliver Stone's like. Kubrick, Kubrick didn't go to Nam, but um, the the Joker character um, co-wrote the screen. Like the actual guy, I think it was based on a oh yeah on yeah, a yeah book. Right. So it's so like you know the, the short timers or something it was called right. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So I mean, but he's telling his own story, and he's obviously after the war a journalist, the same as he was during the war, but like obviously yeah. doing war propaganda and then turning against the war later on. So you know, it's still kind of a similar like. You know that guy is a is a kind of PMC journalist when he gets out of the war. Oh, he's yeah. like this is this is my story and these are the people I met. So Eric, I agree with your point that you know um, I, I think that you know those would be much more you know real and like you know um, real and like really just cutting stories um, in these senses. But you know it's everybody trying to tell their own story of what happened to them in the war, and obviously that means that they both made it out of the war and that they have some kind of career where you know. They're trying to get publicity for it after the fact. You know, like, that's the thing. It was, like, outside of some of, like, these, like, weird, like, you know, I don't know. Just, yeah, psychopaths that are, like, I'm going to do something heroic. Which, like, these people exist. You know, this is, like, a real fucking thing. It is almost completely just a group of people who are constantly saying, fuck this shit. Yeah. And like, that's not, <laughs> I don't know how, how interesting that's going to be, but like, that's the thing is like, as we're discussing kind of like these characters, like even myself, I'm like, f- like filling in the dots of like, who are the people that I served with that, you know, I, I mean, like I never served with a quote unquote Sergeant Barnes that like would maniacally murder anyone <laughs> like, like. <laughs> never happened right but like yeah the the officer who is just lost in the sauce and i'll say it like literally has no business being <laughs> being here like you get get out of here you don't mm-hmm. you definitely don't belong here yeah um or um or just really even some of the 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 pl- other platoon people around who are like literally what are they always saying this is bullshit like 
why are you sending my squad? Like it's his their turn. Yep. Like getting it like just that no one likes it. It just all fucking sucks. The politics and, of who has to go on ambush tonight. Yes. Who's and, on and watch? I think I think Oliver I think Oliver Stone did a good job showing that part of it. Um mm-hmm. definitely. Very or like, much or, I guess my point is is that like if you're actually going to take into account the stories outside of these PMC writers, you're you're going to get a story of just like people just saying this fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. Over and over again. Petty nonsense that happens between people. That's like leads up to massive conflicts that are literally life and death. And and I think that a lot of I mean, I think that in specifically in Platoon, um uh I I think that Oliver Stone did try to show that as much as he could. I mean, you know, a lot of times I think he tried to channel it through like the black, uh, the black squad members, and yeah, I don't know if yes. he necessarily did a great job with that because he was trying to like also comment on the civil rights and like black nationalist stuff going on at the same time. But like, I, I do think that he did try to show that. I mean, the majority of the characters in in you know platoon aren't um, Elias or Barnes. You know what I mean? Like, the majority of the characters are either scared of the psychopaths or the and I think Karthik and I talked about this earlier. I don't know what you guys think about this. I think that like there's definitely a difference between Barnes kind of being a complete kind of sociopath, I guess, and then that like bunny redneck dude being like a literal psychopath. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like actually taking pleasure in in causing that harm, which I don't necessarily Barnes kind of seemed like he was um incredibly uh ultra conservative in the sense of being like, you know what, like we're not gonna win this war unless I literally kill civilians and yes. it's all the same to me. But it doesn't seem like he was necessarily taking pleasure in that the same way that like that redneck that was just like let me just you know bash in a mentally challenged guy's skull was. In in both uh, in both cases, it, it's interesting how like uh, it's it's not a kind of depiction of like any kind of superiority, but like actually the opposite. It's it's just like pure downright like importance. Uh, these are uh, kind of uh, characters who I feel like are not actually even experts in anything that they're uh, setting out to do and they and they seem to largely be clueless and and as you're as you're pointing out yeah. um a lot of the kind of you know action is totally out of their hands and like they're, they're totally out of their depths and um and because of that like the whole experience becomes uh counting down to the day that they get to go back and like uh it's interesting how uh, there's a parallel between that and like i mean more obviously uh, a carceral experience like Shawshank Redemption has the same kind of like you know cross uh, sign of like him getting out in the end escaping from prison and like uh, Willem Dafoe or even, or even the, wire. Funny way. the Wire the Wire does a great job with that too where he's like there's only two days the day you come out or the day you go in and the day you come out like that yeah. that line happens over and over or again even the, the inst- institutionalization that happens within it like like you know, Morgan Freeman doesn't want to leave Shawshank, just like Bunny doesn't want to leave the army because he gets to do whatever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. Right. And that type of person and, and, can't survive on the on the outside. I don't think. Like, I don't think that. Like, after Vietnam, that guy would not have been able to uh, reintegrate into society in any capacity. No, we all knew people who stayed in the military because there's nothing else they can fucking do, and that's where they. That's the only. That's. Th- and those people get promoted and end up in charge of you. Yeah, like really, like yeah, like the only, I, you know, like it's you know, like I guess from whatever understanding of success that can be put together in the United States military, you know, like yeah, those type of people who are just like, oh, 
completely self-aware that like literally outside of the locker room where they're the most extreme fucking piece of shit mm-hmm. you know like the military is the place for them and like they're not going to go anywhere <laughs> you know as long as they don't get kicked out they're not going anywhere um but i yeah, mean so, that's something so- with karthik when you make the comparison of like carceral and everything like that, it's like we call it getting you know, like uh, like getting out like when you getting out when you getting out that is how we talk about like when are you when is your contract finished you know um but you say getting out and it's almost you know like it it is you know discussed in a similar fucking way obviously it's not you know Mm -hmm. you know the same same thing but um yeah that's kind of like the ticking down you you know what do you think of that final like the final conclusion kind of that um uh that it's not the people like bunny who end up i mean at least specifically in vietnam and the tet offensive like it's not the people like bunny that end up moving up it's not the people like elias that end up obviously moving up because he's causing trouble it's not the people like barnes and it's just so kind of like it's it's like dr cox and like the the guy that was like yep. the, the the guy that was like you can't do that man like that guy like you know what i mean it's Italian kind of excellence you talk about ramucci <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Um, so it's, so I guess the, the point that he's making is it's not the people that seem like they, they're going to survive Vietnam and it's not the people that seem like they're not going to survive Vietnam. Like at the end of this specific, I mean, at the Tet Offensive is in itself a very specific traumatic moment mm-hmm. for the U S military, yeah. for the U S population. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have a clip to play in, in a couple minutes for that, but like, I, I guess, so at the end of it is kind of like they're promoting who, like whoever's left, like neither the people that seem like they're going to survive or the people that seem like they're going to die. It's kind of like the the middle people, whoever's like kind of in the middle and and just kind of getting along to go along. I think Oliver Stone's doing the meek shall inherit the earth thing there. But like, that's my problem with the, that's my problem with the conclusions he reaches at the end of the movie. Like I was saying, like when I saw this movie in high school, like I arrived at the same conclusion by watching that movie when I was a child that like, uh, war is cool. You just need to be cool while you're doing it. And if everyone's cool, then war is good. And like that's kind of the conclusion I felt like Oliver arrived arrived at after going to Vietnam, which is not at all the conclusion I arrived at when I came back from Afghanistan. It's the 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 true. I mean, I was talking about uh, asking Marcus about this earlier, but like I think a better movie, like both at the end of Bridge Over the River Kwai. The guy just going, madness, madness. Everyone's fucking dead. Everyone just fucking killed each other for God knows why. It's just fucking pure madness. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no ideology behind it. It's just fucking murder. Like they just killed each other. And like at the end of Full Metal Jacket, it's a bunch of guys literally singing, a bunch of children literally singing Mickey Mouse to each other. Yeah. I mean, kind of, I think Full Metal Jacket kind of takes a, a more absurdist turn there. Yes. Yes. And, you know, trying to show you that literally, like, it, it trying to juxtapose the fact that, you know, the girl that they end up all killing, um, that's the, you know, the sniper is kind of just some young girl. Like, she's not mm-hmm. anybody, you know, the NBA is kind of just training people, people who truly do believe in their own liberation. Like, people yeah. that are kind of, you know, like, acting far more heroically, I'd say, than the U.S. Yes. troops are. In but, the platoon, too. Those fucking NBA guys own. There's, like, two guys who can fight in all the platoon, Barnes and Elias. 
And the, right. the NVA owns the rest of them. They're way better equipped. They're way better trained. They're more disciplined. They're fighting for their whole, they have a better cause. It's just a bunch of pot smoking idiots, you know, fucking literally sucking on 12 gauges until they kill each other in the American military. Yeah. Like, and do you don't, I mean, there is no, there is no cause. And like, you know, on the American side, like, and I think that is a point that Oliver Stone makes well throughout this is that, you know, nobody really cares or knows why they're there. I think Full Metal Jacket makes it pretty well, too, with everybody just kind of being like, well, they're Vietnamese and we're Americans and we don't really like, they don't even really know who they're fighting. Like the, the North Vietnamese knows exactly who the fuck yeah. they're fighting. Yep. There's which like um, especially like beginning, like uh, like the beginning stages of Afghanistan. The, the 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 like resurgence, and then also too it's like the um, beginning pushes in the in uh, Iraq, which is all precursors to my enlistment. I came in the Marine Corps in 2010. The the people who taught me, <laughs> those they were the fucking lance corporals and PFCs and shit, you know when that was all going on. Yeah, and it is like. You know, there's just, it is chaos. You like, and there's like 18, 19 year old dudes that literally like nine, 10 years later are still have some sort of pride in what they've done. Yeah. But what do they have to show for it? Like, I mean, if some people like, like just, crazy videos of oh hey i found this littered and bit its head off for a bag of doritos yeah you know like just a, a you know bunch of dudes out in the fucking desert doing wild ass shit for no for no reason at all getting to sleep in some in, in, in one of saddam's palaces and like getting some just crazy fucking video you know and it's like what what is the point of this and especially yeah. when you put on the the back of and a then, million dead Iraqis, you know. And, and then, in, in, I mean, at the point of uh, Vietnam, which is kind of the original, original kind of version of the kind of forever wars that we're doing now, like you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, like uh, in a similar vein, and and obviously, bad policy, yeah, like and the the terrible policy that goes along with that, where we don't quite understand how to fight, like you know, gr like guerrilla guerrilla rebel like rebel groups or like cells that are trying to actually liberate themselves. Like we don't have a you know, like you can't, you can't really like push yourself as an empire into that situation and be like, you know what, like we're gonna send just a bunch of people in there and we're gonna just keep bombing the shit out of them until they finally relent. They don't relent, and so that's something that we learn, I think, over and over again in the last, you know, um, fifty years of American foreign policy, starting in Vietnam, and um, in a similar, like in a similar way, like I, I think that it's, um, I mean, it's interesting that now with the advent of like social media and phones, like people can kind of take these videos and that's not necessarily a, a like a, a strategy or not a strategy but like an idea that they had i think um in uh in vietnam i mean maybe pictures if you send home some like you know some graphic pictures but like it's interesting that it's, it's kind of this individualist um idea of like well i could do this in battle and then someone could take a picture of it or i could i could i mean like you're saying with sleeping in saddam's palace like i could sleep in saddam's palace and then i'll get a, a video of it and send that video home and it's like doesn't really mean anything like <laughs> and you're still gonna have to live with yourself at some point that's the then the epitome of that is the operator fucking tactical bullshit that you see now which is like the antithesis of what you see here in, in platoon right is like these are the miserable grunts 
who are in the mud and the shit and counting the days till they're done, not wanting to be there. But like we, we commodified the rut. We made the operator culture. And now you've got guys who like literally two guys competing to say which one of them killed bin Laden so they can make a bigger t-shirt company. Yeah. So I have this, so I have this, um, I think the, the, you know, the OG version of it is obviously Vietnam and the Tet Offensive is kind of this moment where I think for the first time the U.S. really realizes that we don't have a, a strategy or a policy that can really, um, you know, push us push us through this kind of conflict. Like it's a never-ending conflict. So I have a I have a clip of uh, Oliver Stone talking about that in terms of um, making platoon. I just want to say historically the battle seemed was not reported on. We were the 25th Infantry Division, and it was not a glamorous division it was there's very little press we never saw press uh, i didn't know what had happened we don't know the size of it but what's interesting about the battle is that it grows in perspective because i was approached by a, a a young man who had interviewed a lot of people there and had was writing a book about it and it was the beginning of the tet offensive and we didn't know it you see the uh what they were doing, the Vietnamese were doing all, all through that October, November, uh, December was gathering intelligence and moving munitions, moving men, moving all kinds of things down to the south. Saigon, if, you, if they had cut Saigon, if they cut across Saigon and, and, and taken it the way they wanted to, or at least damaged it enough to psychologically destroy us and cut off our sense of unity with the North, they would have... Uh, it, that would have been the objective. I always believed that all the activity in the North between the Marines who got all the uh, press and the NVA, the, the bombing at uh, Quezon, th those battles, there were quite a few battles, ugly battles, but that was where it seemed like the hottest action was. But the, in a fight, and the Vietnamese were very smart, you, you throw the left, you throw the left, you save the right. And I think the right hook, the right hook, the, the knockout blow was to Saigon because they came so close to taking Saigon. They took Saigon almost the entire night, and it was a bloody battle for Saigon. So that was the objective, and I think we were one of the first to encounter them. I, we, the other thing that is in aftermath you're aware of is we kept finding intelligence. We'd be in the bush, and we'd find stuff, bunkers, lots of supplies, but we found a lot of paper and a lot of uh, intelligence, which the we, we would gather, and I mean, stacks of it, and. Uh, they would come out, the, the, the uh, intelligence people from Saigon would fly out and they'd collect all this stuff. And I was wondering later in time, where did this go? You know, why were we so surprised? And I do think that we had very poor, poor analysis. Uh, in fact, General Westmoreland came out you to, don't to that battle, to that, uh, and he that stood the there. I, I don't know what he was saying, but he analysis. examined and he left on his helicopter. But I heard later that he criticized us for not having been well dressed, and not having looking like 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 troops, uh, which in a way exemplifies the American uh, attitude towards the war. Here is our leading general, who I think was not very bright, saying, you know, counting bodies, body count was crucial in Vietnam. It didn't matter if it was a civilian or not. Sometimes, but that was what added to the body count and he was like saying well if we kill enough of them how come they keep coming and that was indeed what happened because the vietnamese kept replenishing themselves i don't know how they were like the ants 
Oh my! And that's true. God. And uh, they could not solve this war through body count. And of course, uh, his concern about uniforms and communications and discipline in the in the wrong sense of the word is what led us to this awful strategy. Did he did he say that uh, somebody else compared them to ants, or did he make? No, he he compared them to ants. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, he, he, there's definitely a little bit of a, a problematic undertone with, with the way that... Yeah. Can that be considered an undertone? <laughs> Over, yeah, it's pretty overtone there. A problematic overlay. <laughs> I was I was like, it's, it's, it's interesting how, like, you know, I was going to ask the question of how, um, if this was one of the earliest instances of, like, a, an outright depiction of uh, failure, in a war uh, rather than like atrocity or like any kind of like because all of that does happen but eventually the the, the whole story is like it's not some kind of operatic uh tragedy or anything like that it's it's actually somebody getting their ass handed to them and like and and really brutally and like to, to the extent of how like the scene with willem dafoe in the end is like you know it's it's a representation of the outcome of the war itself and like he saw the plane take off without him and like it, it was over even before that but like you know it just sealed the fate even more so mm -hmm. uh but in the end like i don't know um it, there, there does seem to be an air of like pride uh behind the way that he's speaking nonetheless so i wonder uh what do you what do you think of this uh notion of like still feeling like you had some kind of strategic knowledge and upper hand and all of that but at the same time really talking about people who had no clue what they were doing and really got out outclassed it seems like even from the movie yeah yeah and he seems like he's not really going with his own <laughs> screenwriting there too like you know what i mean right. he's like, oh well like but throughout the movie you do see every time they're like oh you know there's maps here like there's maps here like you know they they, they pick up the maps and they, they make that point and then you know either something explodes like that one scene right. with uh yeah. with 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 sal from uh from do the right thing and um <laughs> it's important man this is important yeah <laughs> um no so like you you do kind of see him making that point throughout the movie too that it's like they're they're finding this intelligence and they're like you know there's really there's maps here and then everything kind of explodes around them but um it's also I, we were talking about this this morning the neoliberalization of of everything kind of starts with the vietnam war because the body yes. counts and, and like mm. body count being the central the central metric to whether or not you're winning the war mcnamara fallacy yeah and, 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 you know, but that kind of is continued in, in every single, like, I mean, obviously like targeted education, like how many people graduate is kind of like the neoliberalization of education. It's like, well, I, I, like we don't have to really like go into domestic policy. Like this is almost like exactly mirrored to today, you know? And yeah. Um, in Afghanistan, especially shameless, because... shameless plug. So on the stream, you know, we watch, uh, some, uh, uh, committee hearings and everything like that general miley lloyd austin today you had joe mansion <laughs> good old joe mansion mentioning a uh sorry i was i was injured so i couldn't go to vietnam but b how <laughs> is this different right you have joe mansion saying how is it any different i thought we learned our lesson that we can't just go into another country and nation build and 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 like the ants comment you know, there's this discussion of how the Afghan army 
is somehow like just blumbering fools that can't do anything to help themselves while they're also saying there is no Afghan army without the supply chain and government contractors that come with the U.S. military presence. Yeah, I was pulling out. Mm-hmm. And you have that you have that with like the planes, you know, they keep bringing planes into Afghanistan and be like, well, if, if there's no one here, who's going to service the planes? Um, yeah, which, that clip exactly. Yes. That, and that's the thing is that like you don't have the U.S. military without this e- like indescribably massive right largest in the world we are not you know like when you're talking legions of rome times a million like it it, like this is empire on steroids um and there and and you can't just replicate that you know especially when the source is coming from across the globe oh i have something controversial Uh oh i have a spicy take uh and it's not even that spicy to people who are leftists or people that were in the military. Uh, the only reason we have, we're like a powerful military is literally only the money. The people are useless. Yes. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, what? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, um, if there was actual combat, like, so we were, when we were shot at, right. I joined the Navy because I was told by my recruiter, they lie. Uh, that it was the safest branch. He was wrong. Um, and whenever we got shot at the first time, if if they would have hit us, we would have died. Like, uh, our people that are supposed to do the anti-air like air missile shit panicked and just stopped and they just <laughs> didn't do their job. Yes. <laughs> um, when I got called out the next day, when we were getting shot at again, but with ammo instead of a rocket, um, they had us go out at like two in the morning. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I They put me behind a 50 cal and I literally was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you just, just keep slinging well, it back. And <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to like rack it back and I can't even rack it back. Oh no. <laughs> so 50 cals, like when they're mounted on the ship, uh, if you don't have enough uh, ass to put into it, you have to like stand up on the side of the ship and pull oh, yeah, in yeah. order to rack it back, especially because you have salt water getting into it every day. Oh, and yeah. it gets cows hard to rack, even if it's not. If oh, it's yeah. Oil. Yeah, yeah. 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 Tell me that more. Thank you. But <laughs> I'm so serious when I say there were so many times where I was like, we listen, everyone, we need to leave. We cannot go out here and start <laughs> shit. We will die. You... But the only reason, the only reason was the money. And that's part of the reason yes. I feel like sometimes uh, they have to throw so much money at it is because, like, the personnel. <laughs> no, there is a reason the Taliban took over in three days. You you really couldn't be more right about this, Erica. I can, and it's, and I, can, it's... <laughs> I can say the same for the army. Like, yeah. like my... I was like 170 pounds soaking wet. And I was like, I never identify with a man more than when Willem Dafoe has an M60 across his shoulders and just looks haggard at one point, like his skinny ass carrying a machine. That was me in Afghanistan. They gave me medals. Like they were like, I was like, like talk about the lack of personnel and like expertise and like badassery in a platoon. 
Uh, they were like, you are like, you're up there, there, Sergeant Warlock. We're going to promote you and we're going to give you medals for bravery. I'm like, I'm just trying to live, man. But it, it's, I mean, it's similar with the similar with the body counts, though, too, right? Like the more medals they give out, the more it seems like our army is, yes. is doing something. Yes. So oh. it's like a, a similar a similar point, I guess. That, well, that gets made throughout. Yeah, the, no, that. and the, the the thing like the neoliberalism running the show, um, which and it's like the, like Erica, I had actually watched this like we watched this fucking great video, um, and it has to deal with like the dangers of white feminism, and like guess what, like forever wars, Are was like, like the first wars, the Afghanistan. first yeah, the first like feminist wars. Yes, you know in that which I know um, sounds crazy. As much as I hate women and I want to blame us for everything all the time, think of the first thing that started been getting shoved through the news cycle as soon as they talked about leaving Afghanistan. But what women. about the women? The women. What about the women and but children? also what's really messed up too is that like the Afghan war is really the first time that women military leaders, women foreign policy decision makers are the ones running the show and Hell it's yeah. out of like this, you know, Condoleezza Rice, Hillary Clinton, you know, Marine Corps FET teams, you know, complete, and you've got these generals. Right yeah, there. exactly. Like we are. Oh, and man, girl they they make then, you feel like a girl boss too. Yes. When you're in, I when they came to me and they were like, you would be the first woman on our ship to go to VBSS training. And I was just like, first woman, what? <sighs> and then yeah. and then I went to VBSS training and I was like, this shit sucks, which is visit board search and seizure. Oh it's, my God. it's fucking Captain Phillips shit. Like Getting going on, on to pirates. And so I was like, well, this sucks. And I was like, well, thank God I'm a sonar technician and I'll never have to use this. Fast forward three weeks and, <laughs> and I'm in the middle of the Gulf <laughs> getting onto yeah. fucking onto boats. And I was just like, this is girl boss. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is that and, and even to this, you know, right to this day, you've got, you know, uh, people decrying how, you know, these Afghan women. But it's like if you actually listen to Afghan women, they probably would have said, please don't arm the Taliban or the Mujahideen 40 fucking years ago. You know, don't give uh, theocratic and fascist propaganda to them so that they can fucking learn from it. Um, and then also don't don't invade and try and get al-Qaeda and bin Laden when the Taliban were going to offer him up, please stop invading after you kill bin Laden. al-Qaeda has down. been gone. At that point, by the time they killed bin Laden, al-Qaeda was almost like completely gone out of Afghanistan for almost a decade at that point. You know, and so like there's really no consideration for, you know, any of these things. But it's just, yeah, it's just a girl boss metric that got thrown into this war um, instead of like... You, get, you know, oh, we're just spending freedom and democracy, you know, doesn't necessarily fly right, anymore, you know, but it's still the well, same had, bullshit um, lie. They had one of they had one of Afghanistan's like most prominent um, feminist leaders going, you know what? Like, I would rather have the Taliban like li like literally there was a I, I don't remember if it was I think it was now this put out a video um, yeah. right around the time that, that Biden um, announced that we were leaving. And it was like one of uh, one of Afghanistan's like most prominent, like because there are, you know, Afghanistan feminists that like have you know that have voices yes we yes. don't we don't we don't hear them on you know cable news or on you know any kind of uh mainstream show but like 
they exist. No one's asking them, you know, no one's asking them, hey, do we do you want to get saved by the US military right now and have another few years of invasion, like a few more years of fighting? No, they don't. Like they're like, we're, we'll take our chances. Like there's a, you know, I mean, they're the one like, saying, don't create a fucking Afghan government with these corrupt warlord assholes. Yeah. And we didn't listen to them. And look what happened. It's speaking of uh, how the, the treatment of women, uh, the only scene, I think, uh, unless I'm mistaken, that involves uh, women in this in this movie uh, is, is kind of like it lays bare uh, the nature and like it puts to bed the entire like presumption that like the the, the U.S. groups are going there uh, with any intention of uh, saving these uh, women in, in these countries. And, and it's just like it's it's insane how um, Forrest and I were talking about it, uh, how in Full Metal Jacket and I, I could be forgetting um, or uh, in uh, Apocalypse Now. The portrayal of the women was like you know they were much older at the very least even if and, and or or like they were like seen as deceptive or like sexually promiscuous or some yeah, sort it's, of like uh, it's, it's um, a metal jacket apology there, there are no i don't think there even are women in in apocalypse now right uh but full metal jacket right so uh i just i just wanted to say that like uh in this in this movie it makes clear that these are not like some kind of young women who are uh, well, there's a playboy or, there's or a, anything like that. Wait, this I need, is I need like children. There's the there's yeah. a playboy. There's the playboy. Um, yes. the the bunnies. There's like the playboy. Uh, whatever dancers that do the um, th those are the only women in in. And a riot in, starts. Out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I. It's, so it's Full Metal Jacket. They have Vietnamese women. There's no Vietnamese women in <laughs> Apocalypse Now. In Apocalypse Now, right? So yeah. Uh, but but in this movie they they kind of make make it very clear that uh, and in fact like I kind of have this uh, wild uh, theory that like uh, the whole movie is just basically a Final Destination style like slasher film uh, <laughs> of like w them getting what's coming to them for what they did in the village raid or something like that because like you see kind of like uh, the the characters who get to leave or survive uh, they tend to earn their kind of um, place by for example uh, Taylor killing. Barnes and thus getting to leave, you know, and like the killing of Barnes, uh, Forrest and I were talking about this earlier as well, like uh, is a necessary act. And maybe like Oliver Stone is like using this as a message to even say that, like, you've got to kill Barnes in order for you to earn your place back in like metaphor. You've got to kill your own Staff Sergeant Barnes, you know? Yeah. Kill Man. the Staff Sergeant Barnes in your mind first. God damn it. I was going to make that <laughs> joke. Ooh. <laughs> No, the that scene. It's out of you, there are two wolves. That scene, though, um, it was the the small detail. I want to make sure I add there is it was girls. It wasn't women. It was two little girls. Yes, yeah. um, it was children. Yeah, it was children, yeah. basically. And which it, which it is in Full Metal Jacket too, but older older girl like teenage girls rather than in this like literal yeah. little girls. And. Um, I mean, if your goal is to depict, like, the horrors of war, uh, yeah, I, that should be in there. That's not fake. That happens. Like, uh, not to pick on a certain branch here, but if you guys ever Googled Marine Corps and Japan ever, like, they what? literally get locked down in the country. Like the bases get locked down because they can't stop sexually assaulting women in, in town. I will say that the Navy 
with Marine Corps, <laughs> Department of the Navy. I know, I know, I know. No, and like this is yeah, like go yeah, another <laughs> the fucking branch, haha. Uh-huh, yeah, but like that's the thing though. It's like so you're talking about the, the island of Okinawa. Yeah, that's almost forty percent of the island is owned by the United States military. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even going into like if you're talking about the highest rates, sexual assault, violence, and everything like that, um. It's it's around military bases yeah. in Japan. You go to Okinawa, like also too is like just even like the metrics of like the health of the people on the island has gone fucking down because of the diet that the United States military has imported, i.e. fucking McDonald's and Bennigans and Friendlies <clears throat> and all of the fucking We had bullshit. a Burger King in Kandahar. Yes, right, man. A green bean dog. You gotta get that fucking bullshit ass coffee um well that's and that's also kind of the the kissinger um motto right like anywhere that there's a mcdonald's or like a you know what i mean like is somewhere that u.s is going to impose their will on like yeah (laughs) yeah that's our quarter quarter pounded with cheese equals freedom yeah no like our our way of like really you know um savaging our way out of the cold war is like you know i mean like the bombing in cambodia and laos you know that's one thing but like really just imposing mcdonald's on them that's, yeah. that's the end. Gorbachev did a Pizza Hut commercial. This is actually the second we episode in, in a week. This is actually the second episode in a week that Gorbachev's Pizza commercial. Yeah, legendary. It's legendary. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's but that's what I was saying about like that's real and it's also ignored. It's ignored within the military. Like they do like your your sexual assault assault prevention training once a year where it's like hey fellas let's not rape this year right and it's then, literally a joke most of the time yeah and, and then um you know i regurgitate it all the time but 87 percent of women in the military will be sexually harassed at work and at least half will be raped yeah and that's and just it, what we know of by other service members when it's touched on it's within the u.s military like when when it's brought up kind of as a statistic like you know like well no i'm i'm saying that like that's within the ranks and then yeah. out of it it's even fucking worse like it's like no, that's what they're doing right, to so people what, they view what as i'm equals. saying is when when the metrics about sexual assault do get touched on no pun intended with mm-hmm. Uh, with with the U.S. military, it's always within the ranks, or it's always mm-hmm. on bases mm-hmm. in, a, yeah. in the U.S. Like, well, that's the only place we have records of it, too. Yeah. that's that's the yeah. the issue. I mean, even here. like yeah, you, we didn't even start counting, like really taking account um, all of the casualties in Afghanistan until like nope. nine years in, and that was and like, there was like a project, the U, you know, like you were, and the, yeah. and like that was like outside groups yes. doing projects, not even the military, like. Yeah. Um, and I think even like I think it like like there's like just some like funding that was like allocated from Congress to like help along. But no, and like you're right, right? It's like even though it's like, but like we talk about that as like the proof, right? It's like you're gonna like because even today they're mentioning, you know, like it was fucking Nazi Josh Hawley talking about how many of these like how many child brides have you found on the flight on those flights from Afghan, you know, Afghans coming over, and it's you know like literally it's like how in the fuck are you going to even try to say you care about women and i'm sorry i'm cursing so much like i know that youtube has like a thing or whatever like you, you know, oh, we, I mean, we, we're not we're not monetized yet so. <laughs> <laughs> well how in the fuck are you going to try and exert some type of moral 
dominance over anyone, some type of like moral hierarchy to say like we are the ones that protect women when like literally the women who are in uniform serving alongside you hell senator well no longer former senator mcsally she was the air force girl boss she was sexually assaulted herself and not only that but as she's talking about it can't even get a bill through congress to address any of it. Yeah. And, be, and uh, you know, a large part of it, I think, is because it's still, you know, un, unspoken, but kind of part of a war strategy, right? Like, keeping everybody that's not not within the, the U.S. military, but, like, elsewhere. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when, when we have a base somewhere, it's kind of within the same range of, like, intimidation and absolute destruction that kind of comes with the U.S. military wherever it goes. Like, the reason that we don't, you know, talk about it or the reason that those metrics don't get counted, the reason that nobody in the military really cares about it is because it's, I mean, and some, I think that's kind of what Oliver Stone was touching on in, in, uh, in platoon is it's kind of very much part of the military strategy. Like those, like sexual assault is part of the military strategy. They don't want to like, you know, they want to keep people as violent and brutal and, you know, as, as abhorrent as possible in, in those circumstances. And yeah. And like, that's where it's like, Kind of, because there's something that he actually mentioned in that little interview clip of like, it's two things. And I think they actually might be a little bit connected. One, he said he was jealous. of. Well, he didn't say he was jealous. I think he was jealous of the Marines getting more media oh, attention yes. than the Fuck Army, right? You do. Oh, no, they've got all the stories. <laughs> they got all the stories about them, right? By but the, the way, thing is, too, also, is like 25th Infantry Division, they're called the Tropic Lightning. Oh. Which is like literally Tropic Thunder okay. is one word different. <laughs> yes. They, they call it Tropic Lightning because they're stationed in Hawaii. It's okay, there. well, I didn't uh. cry during that movie and I cried a lot during this. So, I, what's your point? Like, what's the um, point? Sorry, Marcus, you were saying something. I know. I cried because of Blackface when I watched Tropic Thunder. You're racist if you enjoy it. No, I just. <laughs> um, I, um, but no, the second thing was is like when he when the general comes in, right? What does he mention? The general is like too focused on discipline in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You guys don't look professional, right? Mm -hmm. And as a United States fucking Marine, I can tell you that looking professional, that's that is like that's what the Marine Corps fucking does. And like out of any of the branches, is the Marine Corps the best fighting at fighting? Fuck no. We all suck at fighting. Like Erica had mentioned earlier, we all suck. What are we the best at? Marketing. Like, that's it. Fighting dragons, bro. Fighting motherfucking dragons. <laughs> and, you know, the sword pop up, man, that fucking snap and pop, all that shit. But that is actually some of the things of some of the narratives that the, some of these fucking branches come like actually take on is the Marines looking fucking good in the blues, standing in front of fucking embassies. And like, you got, I don't know what the fucking deal is with the army with like old Ironsides and all the fucking random shit. But like the Navy old is like Ironsides. Like, that was a boat. <laughs> I don't Not know. You're going to talk shit. You're going to talk shit. But no. Right. God damn. They, I, like, literally, though, it's like the army needs a fucking, like the army doesn't have a narrative. That's the problem with the uh, The army had an esports team. Did the Marines? 
Yeah. Right. Oh, you even heard the army Wars. song? Ah, enough of it. But I'm saying those like Navy has this narrative, this this, this this global force for good, where it's like, oh, I get to help people, but also I get to travel the world, and like what comes with traveling the world is sexually assaulting the women of other fucking countries. You know, they also like, have uh, they also have the village people song. That is true. It's yeah. major, you know. Uh, that was why I joined scenes. the military, actually. <laughs> Air Force now, Air Force, Space Force, as this type of like intellectual, you know, and like, oh, like fighter pilots and all these fuck, you know, it's like you have all these fucking ideas of what this thing is, but really it's like literally just either hurting fucking people, wasting the time of our young people, and then making huge profits for the military industrial complex. Like outside of that, like that's fucking it. And I'll say this too. I don't know that there can be an anti-war movie centering anyone who is in the military because just the reality of Hollywood and cinema and, and spectacle, whoever is the center will be admired. Yeah. And, and and it it comes up to like who gets to tell these stories and you know, it's people that number one lived through it and it's people that went on to create these careers afterwards where, you know, public relations were a big part of it. And I also think that, um, I remember we did so we did um full metal jacket we did apocalypse now on um on give them an argument and we had a uh, mikey utrick and i can't who's like the deputy editor of jacobin and i can't remember i think it was when we did um apocalypse now that he he made the point that like none of these movies really ever touch on um vietnamese characters specifically in the vietnam war as a major part of it like it's always how vietnamese um, I, so I've thought about that a lot when watching any Vietnamese movie since then. Like it's always how um, American soldiers dealt with either the pain of causing destruction throughout a country, or it's you know what happened to American soldiers, or like the Vietnamese soldiers. And in this movie, I think especially, um, especially when and, and he makes the point. Um, Charlie Sheen's Oliver Stone's stand-in character makes the point, like you know, well, we could have been fighting them, but we were fighting each other, and it's like. All right, but like, isn't the point that you shouldn't have been fighting them either? Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. So, yeah, like you that. got two options, really. It's like even like how Vietnamese people, I think, are depicted as like either these shadowy figures in the night that are going to mm-hmm. sit your throat, or a body that you can do whatever the hell you want with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the 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 scene um, in the village has, uh, I think, like the best depiction of if we were to go by. You know WWE uh, title standards like he the the hero of the movie loses to this one-legged man uh, whom he basically sh- whose feet he shoots at and like he's trying to get this person to like dance motherfucker and uh, he kind of like uh, he can't crush this person's spirit and like uh, the, the I don't the I don't think that's psycho I, character I, I completely yeah. disagree with that being the point I think that the point that they're making that Oliver Stone's making with that scene is that it's kind of um. You're, you're realizing that somebody like Charlie Sheen, like, like that character, I think his name is Chris in this, yeah. Chris Taylor. But so you're, you're realizing that like Chris Taylor slash Oliver Stone is incredibly angry at that point, done with the war and is willing to shoot at the guy's feet, but isn't willing to kill him. The only point that they're really making is that a character like um, Bunny or whatever, the redneck guy that comes up and actually like beats the guy's head in is willing to, to like fully commit to the deed and kill the guy. And everyone else is horrified. So you're kind of it's still about the reactions of you know U.S. soldiers to that death rather than being anything you know anything about the spirit of a Vietnamese person. 
but and I mean, even stone even if you read it, humanized too. Like the all of, like the war makes Oliver Stone into a, Charlie Sheen into a monster temporarily before he checks himself and actually kills someone. As, as the real Charlie Sheen, really, you know, he's yeah, a monster until right. he checks himself into rehab. That's the checks himself into rehab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even even if you were to uh, make that. uh seen like more about the, the the revelation that like you know somebody else is willing to do what uh uh Chris Taylor is not willing to do uh and it in, in a way like kind of uh supposed to you know make him look a little better and like the other person look worse or something uh even then i feel like the that whole scene was about like um with the i don't know if the if there was subtitled uh in in the version that you saw but i didn't see it subtitled at all where the woman was uh, yelling at them and uh they had no idea what she was saying and then they sh- so the guy shot her in the head before that uh and that's when like the the whole uh thing happens right, right after that um this before no, that happens the woman right in before. the head like she she that's yells right before, uh, i believe i think i think that happens right before barnes comes and shoots the woman in the head you you it is they're in yeah, yeah 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 so No, I sorry, I, not not to interrupt your point that you're making, but I, but I do think that it's important that you see um the bunny part first and then the barns part um in that order. I I do think that that's part of the storytelling. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I was I I flipped the order uh by 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 accident, but like basically I'm getting to the point that like there was this exchange where uh, this woman was kind of like yelling something at them and uh, it was completely untranslated and and, and it goes completely untranslated and um I mean speaking of representation of the Vietnamese characters it's kind of noteworthy that this is the only scene where like they have a speaking role and it's kind of like it goes uh, and I I don't think that this is the kind of thing that would have been deliberate right like the whole idea is that like they uh, speaking of dehumanized the Vietnamese characters have no face as Marcus pointed out like they are just shadowy figures who are lurking and like they're like ants as he himself like kind of came out and said straight up um but like these these three characters um I mean when I say three characters I also include the uh the child uh who's uh, sexually assaulted in this in this you know group where uh, like the spirit not being crushed is kind of like I feel like it's 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 important to the to the message of the of the film itself like because uh what else is the point of like having this lost in translation you know moment um where like the the brutality of these um and the importance i have i have to say of these uh, men are uh, like just laid bare yeah i mean i i agree with that on on some level but i also think that it's kind of um i i think you messaged me this when you first watched it like comments about like impotence and i i think that throughout that whole scene um there there's a there's a big part of it that's you know the rage that people feel throughout the whole movie and and the rage that they feel about being, you know, drafted into the situation or in in the one the one person's uh you know Chris is um like oh I chose to be here but now I'm upset that I'm here like you know what I mean like so that rage either is fueled purely throughout the entire movie like with uh with Bunny his like psychopathic like I'm I'm ready to just you know kill any Vietnamese person I see But then I think that it's important that right before that like the Manny Washington character, you know, is shown basically lynched. Like, you know, it, it's it echoes like American lynchings when he's literally has like things, you know, pushed into him, he's pushed up on a tree and they mm-hmm. find him dead. Like a lot of the the black characters in this movie are like, "Oh, well we want the heads of whoever did this." Like 
they're they're like everybody's kind of like amped up. They're following Barnes, and then when the moment comes when Barnes actually just shoots some woman in the head, and there's no real reason behind it, everyone is horrified by that. You know what I mean? Like like all of the black characters are the first ones to be like, "Well, we should frag him," and I, of course they don't because uh, they well, I think I think they like I thought there was like one black character that says let's do the whole thing. like i'm not i'm maybe not sure no they all like they all scene. agree there's one character that's like a supposed to be like a heroin addict that's like oh i think he was all right and then they're like dude you're a heroin addict shut the fuck that's up that's the tony todd character that's candy yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay so, um but but yeah like so i think it's kind of showing the sustained either rage or impotence of these characters because you know um everybody's kind of following barnes into this village raid and most of the characters have realized by the end of it that like this has gone too far like this is horrifying like when when bunny um beats the beats the mentally challenged guy's head in like obviously like dr cox from scrubs and um and, and um <laughs> that's and, uh, where the <laughs> yeah Dusty mcginley oh, it's transatlantic accent in this movie too like oh i'm a wise guy yay like <laughs> but, but he also can't he also can't hide the dr cox accent and at one point he um like Kelso's name, like obviously Bob Kelso, it's Bob Kelso in, in Scrubs, like the, the uh, guy that runs the hospital. Mm-hmm. And in this, the other um, Barnes is named Bob. So he keeps yeah. saying like, all right, how you doing there, Bob? And I can't stop thinking. I get taken out. Of <laughs> he calls him Chief Rooney at one point. Yeah. <laughs> he says, can I get on that chopper there, Chief Rooney? Like, <laughs> what movie are you in? Is this a 40s gangster flick that that's, you're trying to I mean, do? Which, but that's wait, the like, kind of shit that Dr. Cox said, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something, though, that's like I do find, like, very real about this, though. And, like, we had touched on it earlier. But, like, yeah, like, that is the person, right? The hey, Erica, Chief Rooney, who just like live. By the way, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, like, in between me bawling my fucking eyes out, I just disassociated. So I don't know. Can't I, tell you. I disassociated from from the actual movie every time I saw the guy, the guy that played Doctor Cox later on saying Bob and Chief Rooney and all that stuff. You know, it just pulled me right out. And I, was I don't like, know. I just I wasn't ready. I was not ready for how fucking sad I was going to be watching this stupid fucking movie. And like, I just didn't recover from there. No, I, I, was, I get that. I'm. I thought I'm, it was going to be a, a fun time, and then as soon as I realized it was not going to be a fun time, I just started stress eating tortilla chips. And what what part of movie night extravaganza sounds fun? Okay. Movie whoa night. there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I was no, just... the other the other thing that kept bringing me out of it was that every time someone died, the guy would go medic, and obviously it's Starship Troopers. Um, yeah. Every time someone gets fucked up in Starship Troopers, they stop and they're like medic. So like, I kept thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> also, guys were like been blown to like into a thousand pieces and they're like medic i'm like no he's, he's yeah. dead man you don't need to <laughs> yeah he's very yeah. dead you don't have yeah to. like yeah. well like even like when you talk like the dude that like hit the signal the booby trap and you know, like he gets blown up and it's like arms are fucking gone yeah fate like you just all types of bloody and it's like which like that's the thing too is that like what's kind of wild is it's and i think maybe goes into why the vietnam war you know like was able to be like shown like hey this is fucking bad you know and is because a the technology you know like fast forward to you know the afghanistan war something that's been like been able to go on for 20 years the technology that you know not only allows us to you know 
get more of them than they get us, right? Mm-hmm. That fucking bullshit metric. But also, too, of just, like, the life-saving fucking procedures. Of, like, simply just, like, putting on a fucting tourniquet. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. just getting the Blackhawks in. Yeah, or, you know, like, the ability to, like, get people out and into some type of, like, medical attention. And so, like, that is, like, literally part of the 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 reason why, yeah, you know, like, the Forever Wars can be sustained for decades. When I got because, blown up, yeah, when I got blown up, I was medevaced out to Kandahar. I was, it was in the shit, like, fucking 25 miles north of Kandahar in the Argandab district. I got blown up. And I got flown back to Kandahar Air Force Base. And uh, I had a team of doctors from uh, every fucking country in the ISAF, in the fucking NATO, basically, work on me for my boo-boo that I had on my leg. And within two hours of me getting blown up, my friend dying, I was watching the German army play floor hockey on the boardwalk while I was eating Burger King in uh, Huey Lewis in the News t-shirt and shorts. In the, on get, You're so Kandahar fucking cool, dude. It is so dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, none of this is cool. This is not. That's not the message. I think I want to join the Bar- military where's Bar- now. Where's Bartholomew? It's really the it's really the Huey Lewis shirt that, that did it for me. You know? Yeah, that you get to every military service and blowing up gets you a free Huey Lewis in the news. Bart was wounded too. This if is you my... get blown up twice, you get a set of steak knives. Three times, you get a Cadillac. There was a particularly aggressive Taliban goose that took down my friend Bart here. (laughs) So before before we kind of wind down and I go to like final thoughts, I wanted to play this really quickly. Um, This is Tom Berenger who played Barnes talking about uh, Charlie Sheen and like a a weird, like a very weird moment that he had with Charlie Sheen. And I thought that this would be kind of, this would lighten the mood a little bit, like very briefly. Where'd you shoot Pluton? Philippines. What a movie. Oh, Charlie Sheen. We were, he and I were standing there waiting for a lighting setup, and he was looking at the Filipino crew, and he goes, you see those guys looking at me? I went, yeah. Why, why are they staring at you? He goes, I, you know what? Well, I was here when I was a little kid, and my dad did Apocalypse, and I think those guys were in the crew. I went, yeah, that must be it. I said, my dad was here, too. He goes, what movie was he in? I went, Charlie, it was the real war. <laughs> I, <laughs> what? I said, liberation of the Philippines with, with MacArthur. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I thought that was a funny uh, connecting connecting thread between Apocalypse Now <laughs> and Platoon. <laughs> I totally, I totally did never put it together until now. Martin Sheen, Apocalypse Now, Charlie Sheen, yeah, in Platoon. I never well, put it together until just now. And and kind of, I mean, I think that the entirety of um, of Platoon is kind of in conversation with Apocalypse Now yes, because the 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 Charlie Sheen dialogue kind of mirrors the Martin Sheen dialogue. Um, and even they're in that helicopter and they're going above the Cambodian border, and there's that water buffalo that runs by. Um, the same kind of water buff- buffalo that um, Coppola. So the the story of Apocalypse chopped its head off. Yeah, and that's a real that the, like that's a real thing that actually happened. Like yep. every every chop you see in that fucking water, like Coppola had gone full Kurtz by the end of Apocalypse Now, yes. which kind of becomes the point of Apocalypse Now. Him um, and Brando. 
Yeah. They both lost their yeah. fucking minds. They were doing yeah. peyote and fucking losing their shit during the And they were in the movie. same. I mean, they were this this movie was shot in the Philippines. Apocalypse Now was shot in the Philippines. Both times it was the Marcos government, who's an incredibly fucking dictatorial right wing government. Yeah. Kind when, of... when, like, the thing that's like, when he says, Yeah, my dad here was here for the liberation of the Philippines, it was just like. <laughs> Yeah, how, no, no, that's, how is it that you make the, you make that movie and just just go out? Oh yeah, liberation of the Philippines. Yeah, well, no. I think he's he's talking about World War Two and you know the whatever happened there in the words of the front. No, but so he's talking about. Yeah, that, I don't think he's talking about like the actual like when, oh, when, when the U.S. Yeah. came in and literally oh, okay. just oh, you know right, ripped right, the right. Filipinos apart. I think he's talking about um, World War II in that, if I'm not mistaken. But still, like, no, it, no, it does. I mean, it is a, a complete lack of uh, <laughs> of. And he, he also played Barnes, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's in case he maybe he's still in character. Uh, <laughs> Barnes, Barnes wasn't even written in the script. He actually doesn't. It's just they're like got they put Tom Berenger into the Philippines. They're like. Do what yeah. you do, buddy. No, Tom he was went, just there. Yeah. He, was he just went there. full method and killed like five people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all right, so you I'm gonna this... go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go around and do final thoughts because I'm trying to keep these down to an hour and a half. And you know, every single time I've done it lately, I've gone to like two and a half hours, and I'm like, fuck. So starting with Marcus, um, final thoughts on this and kind of the state of anti-war filmmaking in general, and like you know what could really be changed. Um, uh, so I, I, I want to flip it and I'll go with like, um, talking about anti-war movies, which like, I don't think, you know, like I said, it's like, I don't think you can center, especially the United States military, um, in any type of, and anything in, and, 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 and expect to get something that's actually like anti-war because what you're going to end up doing is showing some type of, uh, tough guy spectacle to a bunch of children that really have no context or, or way to fucking deal with it. And they're going to end up glorifying it. Um, any of these movies, um, <laughs> you know, like we've talked about platoon apocalypse now. Um, yeah. It's just not going to be able to happen. Which apocalypse now I'd say isn't, I mean, as Carthy kind of pulled up an article for it, I think isn't an anti-war movie. It's. I don't think it's even really a, necessarily an anti-Vietnam movie. It's uh, Coppola going insane in the Philippines. Which, yeah, which I mean, so I think I mean like at the like really it does it really wouldn't you know like it, it doesn't matter you know in no way if you're going to center American forces you're going to end up just glorifying this shit um, in the same way of like is Judas and the Black Messiah like a revolutionary fucking film it's about the fucking snitch like let's get real you know don't so... get us don't get us started on that that uh that, <laughs> all right sorry, that, sorry, sorry. That, that argument um, almost turned that argument almost turned uh turned violent because we had um so we i watched it with uh we did um on on give them an argument we had like ben on one side and jason on the other side like just going at it i was like i was like we should record your guys' thoughts at the end of watching this movie because we, we did like a patron exclusive like oh yeah, movie yeah watching yeah. and i was like we should record you guys' thoughts so is this a revolutionary movie and like jason was like no it's actually a terrible movie and 
Well, just, hey, Jason Miles is one of my good friends. <laughs> so we, do, we talk about a lot of shit. I mean, look, um, I, I, there we go. This is revolution. But like, that's the thing, though, is it's like, what what do people actually get out of any of this stuff? And it's just if it is entertainment, then no, it is not anti whatever you're trying to do, um, or you know, like revolutionary in any way. Um, and, and he, he, had a, say, he had a comment about specifically um, Judas and the Black Messiah that stuck with me. Where he was saying, you know, what does this movie really make you want to do at the end of it? Like, you know, what, like, if if you're watching this movie, so asking kind of the same question about Platoon. Yeah. I mean, what does this movie yeah. really make you want to so, do? Not, not much of anything, to be honest. Like, for I, I me, don't... it makes me just want to watch Major League because that's <laughs> a movie with Charlie Sheen and Tom Berenger that's worth watching time and time again about the good old fucking Cleveland Indians fucking getting one over on the yankees and uh yeah it's it that like that's that's what like honestly what you like i'm happy you asked like honestly i was just like man i would have i wish i would have watched major league instead <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh dick warlock the same the same kind of question final thoughts and you know um you know just about anti-war filmmaking in general uh, i mean i'll agree with marcus we talked about this quite a bit in the past but like i don't think it's really possible to make an anti-war movie for a couple of reasons like the first and foremost being like it's in war is inherently exciting and if you're fucking bored and looking to like have some excitement in your life or to make a name for yourself or to you have something to prove or something or if you're tired would, of going to college and you're getting all zeros and yes, you want to yes, you want to hang yes. out with the poorest for a little bit. It will be inherently <laughs> appealing to you. Like I mean I I I half joke that like half the reason I joined the military was cuz I watched Black Hawk Down too many times. You know what I mean? Like movies like this are like affecting in that way because you know you just ask the question, what does platoon make you want to do? And you, when you're done watching it, I think what Oliver Stone's message is, and based on that interview you just played, is that the war, you should better manage the war. You yeah. should have, Westmoreland wasn't smart enough. Uh, there wasn't enough media coverage of the Tropic Lightning up in the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, there should have been more Sergeant Elias's and less Sergeant Barnes. And if you had all those things, maybe the great thing that is America wouldn't have lost the thing that is Vietnam. Yeah. It's like obviously and, dumb. It's wrong. And, and, and I, you know, we got a lot of um, hate for this, I guess. I'm going to plug, this is Revolution again. But uh, I, I host movie streams now on This is Revolution once a month. And the yeah. first movie that we did was Oliver Stone's JFK. and uh, Very good movie. Very, very good movie. It is a very good movie. But Pascal and I had a conversation at the beginning of it because it's one of his favorite movies. Um, kind of about like liberal conspiracy theory and how far the imagination of someone like Oliver Stone can really go. Mm -hmm. And Oliver Stone's imagination in that movie seems to be that everything would be different if like there's there's a clip that I played at the beginning where he's talking about how, you know, if JFK had just stayed alive, like we wouldn't have stayed in Vietnam, which there's yep. no proof that that's the case. I mean, it yep. did seem like he wanted to get out of Vietnam, but like that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, He's like, yeah. oh, well, there would have been eight years of JFK and then four years of or eight years of RFK. And, you know, then maybe maybe like, you know, Ted Kennedy would have gotten involved and we'd be in a completely different place. And it, it seems the same with with this idea, like, oh, well, we were fighting each other when we should have been fighting mm -hmm. them. Like, I don't think that's the message that you should really be taking out of this. Bro, and I don't you think have, that that's a 
You have no idea what dangerous territory you're treading on to bring up JFK with me right now. Well, then that's all well, I'll say though is like three hours. switching from no, JFK. I would like to cut this sh- cut this <laughs> yes. three hours short. If, well, Obama, if Obama was assassinated early on in his first term, the stories would have gone on that he would have gotten out he of Guantanamo Bay. Gitmo. He, he would have gotten. He yeah. would have gotten out of the wars. He would have yeah. given. He would have given everyone universal health care. Obama. Then we would have gotten stuck with. We would have gotten stuck with President Biden. And then we got what kind Joe of, Biden. What kind of universe? First term, baby. <laughs> but, but I also think that there's kind of a legendary story that doesn't. I, so I've been thinking a lot lately about JFK because I did the JFK. Well, no, I was on a JFK. Uh, conspiracy binge. I went through a breakup, and you know, as you do, you go through like a pretty bad breakup, and you go down like a JFK conspiracy rabbit hole for a few months. Yeah, rather, that's a universal guy experience. Bannister. Yeah. He oh. shared the <laughs> office with Lee Harvey Oswald. All right. yeah. Hey, uh, my only take on this movie is that I was not ready to be that sad. So, all right, well, we're not well, doing JFK like, discourse again. God damn it. I, well, I, um, I kind of, I kind of blame, I kind of blame Lorax for this because. The originally he was supposed to pass the message along to everybody on left flank vets that I wanted to do a crossover episode and we were going to talk about anti-war filmmaking. And then at the last minute, like not only did he cancel because he's in Japan, uh, like he also didn't oh, pass the message. Uh, they, they, them, they, them. Uh, well, all right. Sorry. They, they, they didn't, they, they, uh, they didn't, they, you know, they didn't pass the message on to, you know, everybody that else, because, um, I had Lorax on to talk about Passive Glory, and we had a really mm-hmm. amazing, like, which was a three-hour conversation with him and uh, Gene Bajlon about um, Passive Glory. <laughs> um, so I, I think that you know, I, I, I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw the uh, the blame to them that you know they, they didn't, they, they didn't uh, pass the message that this was supposed to be like a, a heavy episode. <laughs> well, I'm sure it won't happen again. But actually, I I am curious, Erica. Um, what's your take on anti-war movies? Right, that's the final thing. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree to a pretty decent extent that um, an anti-war movie that focuses on anti-recruitment is still—it's just really not possible from like the point of view of someone coming home from war because we still live in a country that glorifies you and you know you still like i get 10 percent off at applebee's how are you supposed <laughs> to me to not do that shit again i can't help that Thank you next service oliver again. oliver stone will just take a take a rocket launcher and blow up an applebee's Hello. <laughs> um i think that it would be what what a more beneficial Angle, of course, would be the victims of imperialism being centered instead, uh, because the United States, uh, like media, filmmaking and everything ignores that, like they'll ignore the other people. So it's like a dehumanizing them. So if if you really care about like that, one way to combat it would definitely be to uh, literally rehumanize the people that are being murdered when because that's what we've done. Like you were saying in the movie, there's like a loss in translation moment. Um, which by know, the way, his Johnny Depp is the translator, which it was weird seeing Johnny Depp not take center stage. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the, the whole thing is it's, it's a movie. It's sensationalized. Um, I think that 
a much more beneficial anti-war movie would be from the point of view of that little girl that was getting dragged in the woods by the soldiers. I think that would be a lot more effective. Um, just in my opinion, um, there's, but we're also surrounded by absolutely god awful pro-war imperialism based movies. Uh, so a movie like this definitely stands out next to it, even though it's still not anti-war. So and and I I do think that Oliver Stone, um, you know, to defend Oliver Stone's style of filmmaking, he was trying to respond to number one, I guess, John Wayne's Green Berets, which was the movie that kind of. Uh, tried to get people to literally enlist in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. But he was also trying to respond to, you know, Deer Hunter, which he worked with uh, the director of Deer Hunter. I, I forget the guy's name, but, you know, they, they worked together a lot and he actually helped out with this movie. But he kind of, there's this, um, he was trying to respond to a lot of, he was trying to respond to uh, the, the, the anti-war movies that had come out before it. And Eric, how they can you mute? Really... Yeah, so he was trying to, he was trying to respond to... Uh, what do I do? It's a noise. Oh, there's no. noise. Just, yeah, there's just yeah. Blame um, Ruth. So he, he was he was trying to respond to um you know the movies that had come out about Vietnam and kind of center his own story and and explain why he thought that the Vietnam War was wrong, which I I 100% agree with you that I think a more effective movie would be to focus on the girl that almost got gang raped in that scene. But I also I do empathize with the fact that he wanted to kind of put his own experience on the record. Um, I, I just wish there were more movies, I think, that, you know, tell tell stories from a different angle than just Oliver Stone saying, like, this is what happened to me, and this is what happened to JFK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, like, that's those, like, I mean, like Eric says, like, and, and I think it would, and I dig it, like, I don't know if you, like, you mentioned um, off-air a movie that... Come and see come and see right and it's it's, it's actually like centered on someone who's living a life that's actually like people soldiers are just coming and enacting war crimes i'm too scared to, to watch it it's been it's been described <laughs> to me a few different times and i'm too scared to watch it it's exactly that it's like a person who is watches everything they love and everyone they know be murdered and raped and mutilated in front of them by the war and they are just completely disempowered like removing any empowerment from a war movie is the, probably the most accurate depiction of it, I would say. And that's that's the movie, and it's famous for it. And I can't watch it because I'm scared to. Because I feel like yeah, that sounds. I brain. mean, it does sound terrifying to make it the way through it, which I think also hits on a, a major point within you know this anti-war filmmaking is how do you get an American audience to um, really be affected by this? And you know, I, I think the answer a lot of times is center the american soldiers experience because yes. you know we're, we're so militarized within our society that like all of a sudden like uh, you know you're seeing like you're watching a soldier get broken down an american soldier and you're like oh fuck that's me whereas that's you know me. yeah <laughs> actually a quick point about that too is that uh the trial of the chicago seven movie yeah uh at the end of that you know sorkin is a a very is a much poor man, more poor man's version of the fucking of Oliver Stone, you know. But like Sorkin didn't even know the fucking Chicago Seven were until someone asked him to write the goddamn movie. Yeah. But the end of the movie, the triumphant moment, is the Chicago Seven reading the names of fallen American soldiers in the trial, and mm -hmm. the thing that is erased from the history via that movie, which will be the biggest depiction ever of these guys, is. That they read the names of Vietnamese civilians that were also yeah killed. no Tom Tom Hayden did that too 
Um, I think that there's another thing that kind of connects those a thread between those two movies, which is kind of keeping the uh, keeping the radicalism or keeping the the opposition between two points. Yeah. And in that movie, throughout it, like Hayden's opposition as like the, the you know the head of the SDS is is kind of oh well we could win elections one day, which I don't think would have been his his thought at that time. Later in life, when he like you know endorsed Bernie to try to move Hillary left, sure, but. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, you know, those two points of like, you know, media spectacle on TV, loving, like levitating the Pentagon and, and or, or, you know, the, the process of like winning elections being the two um, opposite points, obviously, are, are, are ridiculous. In the same way, I think that having Elias and Barnes, which is one, one person goes, you know, doesn't anybody follow the rules anymore? Like, you, know, you can't just kill civilians. Doesn't anyone follow the rules? There's going to be a court martial or having the other person be like, no, I'm going to go in there and kill as many civilians as I can because I think their NVA is is a poor rendition of the two, um, uh, you know, the two points on opposite sides. Um, yes. Karthik, final, final thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I kind of don't know if uh, this counts as a, a war for, like, uh, as a depiction of war at all, but like uh, Ken Loach is... Uh, when that shakes the barley comes to mind, like as, as yes. a sort of depiction of a movie that like kind of becomes a gut wrenching depiction of uh, war and conflict and like very very good. Uh, as, I agree. As like uh, as a sort of way by which I don't know, and, and again, like it shows a revolutionary uh, army's failure or like uh, you know betrayal and sabotage kind of taking place between brothers and um, and it's like the bro- older brother betrays the sorry the younger brother I, I forget who's who but like brother betrays the brother and uh, is is shoots um him um and that's kind of like a, a kind of good depiction of the absurdity of like the whole thing like it's ultimately brothers killing brothers at the end of the day uh type of thing and it's and it's allegorized uh like that and and in in a similar fashion like archetypes wise in in platoon um it's interesting that uh, the platoon is kind of like the logical limit of how far um the soldiers uh, humanity goes because that says that's the only uh you know uh, only thing they care about like is basically and even within that like they kind of kill each other uh, etc so even the humanity uh, doesn't even go, go as big as the platoon um, they were but fighting, it's kind of like were a fighting amongst themselves they could have been fighting the, the the viet cong you know like right <laughs> and 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 like it's interesting how like within these archetypes uh, you have like elias who's like the uh, the hippie progressive and then uh, you have uh, uh, barnes who's like the fascist uh, neocon uh, type of person, uh, kill or be killed uh, character, um, and and King, uh, which is interestingly named, uh, who's interestingly named, uh, uh, who's actually like an Afro pessimist character, uh, who kind of is like you know just like focus on getting out of here alive in like a very survivalist. He is board. a king. And it's- Keith David is a fucking king. He's amazing in everything he's ever been yeah. in. And he's amazing in this. I love I love that I love the face that he makes and everything. That's like I don't I don't remember what what it is that like he always has that like I'm gonna sell you something face where he gives that like that yeah. that, that huge smile. And I, I love I love in every movie that he does that. When he <laughs> yells goodbye, motherfuckers, in the chopper yeah. as he leaves. Oh, my God. It's so good. So good. I <laughs> feel like that was the high point of the movie. Like, yes, I think that it was it kind of like it almost was a celebratory moment when he was able to go, go away. And it was like, you know, at least he made it out uh, kind of moment. But nonetheless, I feel like um, between these three characters, none of their politics actually rises to the level of like doing really anything about the war. Uh, just merely like saving their own skins or like, you know, basically getting out of there alive. 
which kind of reflects, I feel like uh, the um, essence of capitalist society itself. And it's interesting that like all of this, uh, which uh, now they, to give a shout out to, you know, left flank bets, like I feel like this is kind of coming back right back to your bottom line that like, you know, capitalism runs on blood and water is the biggest donor because it feels like um, it's it's basically the absurdity of the experience of like, you know, fighting for somebody that you don't even know what the fuck you're fighting for, what the end is, uh, other than to like get out of there. Um, and that's what people do to each other when when left in those circumstances. And I think, I don't know um, if, if the experience of watching it is going to like, you know, make somebody feel like I'm not going to, uh, like Dick said, um, I don't know if somebody who watches this movie even now is gonna go gonna go like uh, you know I want to be like Barnes or something. Um, but I feel like that, um, especially watching in the present day, I couldn't come away with it, uh, come away from this movie with uh, with any kind of glorification of of the war, uh, whether it, whether it's Vietnam or just any war in general. I feel like yeah, and and I, and I think that that's the point that Oliver Stone is kind of trying to get you to come away with, which is like. You know, it's it's so far gone at this point that like, you know, you can't you come out, come away with a pessimistic um, feeling from the movie. I don't necessarily think that that's enough, but I do think that that is the point that he's trying to hit. Um, and at the same time, though, it's interesting that uh, JFK, you know, as as a comparative movie, I guess, kind of throws a lot of statistics at you um, at the end. You know what I mean? Like halfway through it, they have the uh, the L. Fletcher Prouty character, Mr. X, like, you know, um, giving you giving you all these statistics about you know how how bad the casualties are in the vietnam war this movie doesn't take that tact obviously this movie kind of shows you um the tet offensive which you know the vietnam war continued for a very long time after that mm-hmm. um the, you know the tet offensive is really the moment that we realize like no we might lose this war but that the, the you know the war peters on you know this is not like they they might be at the cambodian border but like you know, it's another couple, like another year or two before Nixon starts, you know, and Kissinger start literally bombing Cambodia and Laos. Like, um, and, and I do to find nuke it, them. Yeah. And, and, and I do find it interesting that both Apocalypse Now and, um, which I don't think is an anti-war movie by any stretch of the imagination, but that movie and this movie kind of used the Cambodian border as a sign that the war has gone too far or that, you know, the story has gone too far. Like, yeah. They, they, mm. they, as soon as you go over the Cambodian border, it's like, no, like a literal get, line was crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, that's gotta be the sequel. Kate, it can't be covered in this movie. That's gotta yeah. be the killing well, fields. He made, right? he, yeah. made, he made born on the 4th of July and he like, you know what I mean? Like he, Oliver Stone did make two other uh, Vietnam war movies pretty close to this. One movie that I want to do that. I want to know if you guys will come back from is um, I, I, I keep forgetting the name of this movie. Tropic but, Thunder. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, mean, I would, I would do Tropic Thunder as a. Do you do? Do you want to do yeah. a Tropic Thunder stream in the in the near future? Sure. I think Fuck Erica yes. needs it. Yeah. All right. And from the, uh, like, and like as a, as as the um, representative for the black delegation, <laughs> like Downey Jr. is fine. Let's it's fine. Let's, Let's do it. Let's in some um, As a white woman, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> hold on. Muter, 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 muter Did Mike. you just say that it was okay? <laughs> let's let's do but but sometime in October, let's do Tropic Thunder as right. a as a, as a follow-up. What was the other movie you were thinking of though, Forrest? Now I'm curious though. Um there's I, I don't remember the name. Oliver Stone shot this movie in tandem with um hold on. He shot this movie in tandem with a movie that I keep reading the name, but it's about uh Central America. And like the the Reagan military conflicts going on mm. at the same time. Oh, um, 
and it's it's like a really famous movie so i don't know why the name is escaping me because i've been listening to oliver stone's hold on things all day about um salvador salvador is the name of it um and and heard of it oh well so he shot this movie in tandem with uh salvador pretty much like he shot them back to back and it, it famously has a uh, James Woods running in at the end of it and and yelling. Um, it famously has James Woods yelling and yelling, "You guys are the same. You guys are the same." Which uh, Alex Cox, who's the, the the filmmaker that made a bunch of movies that we've watched in a row on this podcast, said um, his his example of liberal filmmaking as opposed to leftist filmmaking is Salvador because when James Woods runs out and goes, "You guys are the same. You guys are the same," like that's kind of the liberal spirit. Also, <laughs> famous chud James Woods. To, yeah, like well, Oliver Stone so directing the was, guy's famous be, chud. Before he was, uh, you know, a chud. I mean, this is 1986. But well, there was um, no Twitter. He might have been then. We just didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably was a big Reagan fan. But um, anyway, so left flank vets. Um, how can we? How can we find it? How can we listen to it? Um, plug it. Anybody, that anybody that wants to hit the like and subscribe. <laughs> at um, left flank vets. Follow us on Twitter at left flank vets. Uh, we are the greatest posters and only correct. Um, you really are the greatest posters. Like I feel like I retweet stuff from you guys. <laughs> yeah, more than you deserve are. better than us. Don't you? <laughs> uh, and then you can also catch us on Twitch. We stream almost every day. Um, Twitch.tv slash left flank vets. Yep, pretty much just. If you if you look up left flank vets, if you want to have a good chuckle, uh, you can Google our at, and you will see us come up in like right wing writing sometimes. Oh, and sub to our YouTube. We're almost at one off. Oh yeah, we're almost, we're almost at monetization for the YouTube. Give me, I have I have bills to pay. Okay. Yeah, are you I, guys really gonna let my two year old son suffer out of your selfishness? You have to subscribe to our YouTube, or else you hate children. It's really fucked sucks. up. <laughs> All right, it's so, so true. <laughs> plugging, so plugging my own my own um, thing on Thursday. We're going to be talking to Natalie Sher about Naked Gun Two and a Half, uh, the Smell of Fear, and probably talking in depth about OJ and why it's hilarious that three months after the third Naked Gun came out, the OJ murder happened. So they had to have still been on a press tour, and it has to still have been in theaters when that all went down, which is fucking hilarious. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there and just say. Left is best.